plan for your life? Do you know where you want to go? Are you looking to be happier, healthier, and wealthier while having more fun every day? Meet our empowerment architect and goddess gardener, Cynthia Bryan, as she engages in energetic exchanges with success experts, bringing you research, innovations, strategies, and techniques to strengthen your life, business, and personal spaces. Be inspired, motivated, encouraged, and empowered. Lend us your ears right here on Star Style. Be the star you are. The party starts now. Well, hello, Power Partners. Welcome to Star Style. Be the star you are. We are going to have a party today, or at least it's a playground. And because all the topics that we are going to be uh, addressing are really fun. We're going to talk about houseplants the benefits of wine, and also getting kids into the garden. And all those are very fun things for me. So I hope that you've been having a great week and that you had a happy Valentine's Day, whether you did anything or not. Hopefully it was just happy, happy, happy. The Miracle Moment for today is brought to you by Be The Star You Are Charity. The website is bethestarur.org. And this, I don't know who said it, but I love it. It says, friendship isn't about who you have known the longest. It's about those who came and never left your side. So I hope that you have many friends out there that never leave your side. And I appreciate all of you for listening because you are um, not leaving my side. And that's a good thing. And I also thank you for Uh, reading my um, newsletter that I send out. Um, I like once a week, there's one. And if you would like to sign up for it, you can find me on Substack, Cynthia Bryan. It's called Cynthia Bryan's Empowerment. So we are building a platform and it's been really fun so far. So today's show, again, uh, there's a new study that suggests that moderate wine consumption lowers the risk of developing dementia. I like that. So what about red wine? Does it fight heart disease? Is white wine equally healthy? We're going to just look at the benefits of wine for both men and women because they're actually different. And then in segment three, kids love getting dirty and love being outside. And there's so much to learn in the natural world. So in that segment, I'm going to offer some ideas for kids to get down and dirty while discovering the interdependent communities that live in nature. And right now, we are definitely, we're not going into the garden. We're going to go into the garden of our homes. If you know who Doreen Virtue is, uh, she actually writes books about angels. But she said, having plants in your house is a natural way to continuously clear yourself. And I like that idea. Because I, I really, I couldn't live without plants everywhere. <laughs> and, you know, there's about another four weeks to go before the start of spring. So turning our yearnings for getting down and dirty in the garden to our indoor sp- uh, spaces is ripe with opportunities. Now, for many years, we relied on the debunked 1989 NASA report that claimed that houseplants cleaned up 87% of the dangerous VOCs. Those are the volatile organic compounds that are in your interior air. And uh, we all thought that if we could fill our homes with a jungle of plants, we would breathe easier and 
perhaps it would even keep us, uh, you know, from getting colds and flus. But many scientists still agree that plants do remove pollutants through a process called absorption, although how much is removed is debatable. And recent studies are indicating that while a few plants won't do much purification, a full wall of plants will. Now, you have probably been to airports. Uh, I know at the Oakland Airport in California, at the Mumbai Airport in India, and some other airports I've been to, they have living walls. And what the living walls are, they're full walls that are filled with plants. Also, some fancy hotels have them. And these are really scenic, they're inspiring, but those are really freshening the air for the numerous clientele and passengers and visitors that transit. But creating a living wall of plants and flowers in our homes probably is not feasible for most of us. However, we can still enjoy the benefits of having plants in our interior designs. So if you're wondering what some of the benefits are, I am going to give them to you because I am the goddess gardener. So aesthetic appeal. Plants add beauty to any room. Plants create a natural feeling. They make the atmosphere more inviting and pleasant. And in fact, if you are doing a Zoom call or you're going to be on any kind of online call, you should have a plant somewhere in the background. It just sort of anchors your call. (laughs) And it elevates moods. Being around plants helps us to reduce stress. It improves moves. It actually boosts cognitive function. And plants make people happy. They do increase oxygen levels. Through the process of photosynthesis, plants are converting carbon dioxide into oxygen. And there are therapeutic benefits too. Tending to plants, whether outdoors or indoors, is calming and meditative. We create a healthier environment that is pleasing to the senses. And enhanced productivity and creativity. Studies have shown that plants in a workplace or a study area will enrich concentration, sharpen attention, and reduce both physiological and psychological stress. And then, of course, the healing properties of having plants indoors. Looking at greenery when recovering from an illness or a surgery helps speed recuperation. Now, that research has focused on patients in hospitals, not in homes. But my personal experience demonstrates that transporting nature to the sickbed speeds the healing process. Now, before you bring plants into your home, you do want to make sure to choose varieties that are safe for children and pets. And for a list of toxic plants, you wanna connect with the resources of the ASPCA and the National Poison Control Center because some plants could be toxic if ingested, others may cause skin reactions. And then do remember that anything, I mean all plants and just about anything can cause choking if um, if swallowed in the you know by a baby or uh, incorrectly, so uh, the ASP, ASPCA website you would go to ASPCA.org and then follow the prompts for poison control, and then the National Poison Control website is poison.org, uh, 
And um, if you do the forward slash articles, forward slash plants, they will give you uh, the, all the plants that are poisonous. And that'll be very helpful. Now, when I'm talking about plants, and I, I'm going to recommend a few plants for you to make it easier, but sadly, two of my very, 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 very favorite indoor plants that are so easy to grow and they're attractive and they flourish for years are actually on the poisonous list. One of them is um, a peace lily. It's also called a spathophyllum. It's known to be an air cleaner. It's also called a sail plant because the flower, when it's a white sail, basically, and it is really, really a beautiful plant. I have one that was given to me as a gift when um, my book, Chicken Soup for the Gardener's Soul, first came out. And I have had that plant growing ever since. I've had to transplant it three or four times. And it is healthy and beautiful, beautiful. But it, it would be poisonous, so you can't eat it. And um, it also can help you. It can make a, your skin itch, too. But, you know, I don't rub it on my skin. The other one that most people just love is pothos. It's P-O-T-H-O-S, and it's pronounced in different ways. But it is a great climber, and it's a great trailer. And what's interesting about that particular um, plant is it's very, very easy to, um, to cultivate it because you could just take a pinch and put it in the dirt, and it grows. But here are some houseplant suggestions that I currently grow. And I absolutely love them. I've had incredible success with them. And basically, I ignore them. Uh, but I want you to double check for the toxicity that would affect your family or animals. Because, you know, every person could have different allergies, etc. And I don't know every person that, that um, what you would have in your family. So make sure that no matter what I'm saying here, that you double check for any kind of poison or um, a reaction that could be adverse for you or your family. Orchids. I have never met an orchid that I didn't fall in love with, and there are so many hundreds of them. The bad rap that orchids receive as being a fussy plant is an absolute myth. Don't stay away from orchids because you think that they're just you know, too, what would I say, uppity, elegant, and uh, hard to grow. They're not. Basically, when you buy an orchid, read the plant tag for best results. I just provide a few drops of water, maybe once a week, sometimes only once every two weeks, and I just ignore them. And um, every once in a while, I stick my finger in the dirt, you know, or it's not really dirt that they're in. It's a uh, they kind of, they like, you know, either some redwood chips or they just, they like anything. They'll grow in anything. Mine are continuously re-blooming, blooming and then re-blooming. Now, one way you can tell when they want more water is um, many orchids put out like these, um, they are roots actually, but they'll come out of the pot. They look kind of interesting. They're like little tangles, kind of like octopus. Uh, if they look dry, then you probably need to give it a little more water. But other than that, orchids are just fantastic. The next one are bromeliads. They're simple, super simple to grow. They're long-lasting, low-maintenance. 
um, with minimal watering needs. And before the flower dies, the plant will produce offsets. They're called pups around the base. And then they'll shoot up another uh, flower. I have a variegated um, bromeliad that I've had, I don't know, maybe 10 years, I want to say. I lose track of time. But it just, it the, the main plant dies. It puts out pups. The pups have flowers. It's really, they're spectacular and easy uh, plants. You water them from the cup that is um, part of the bromeliad. And when I say water, I'm talking a few drops. They like to be dry. A snake plant. Sounds weird, right? It's referred to as the mother-in-law's tongue. <laughs> I love that other name. And it tolerates low light, minimal moisture. And it is a plant that is almost impossible to kill. Almost impossible. And it grows upright. And outside, it, it can grow very, very tall. Uh, I was in Cuba a couple years ago, and there were rows and rows of snake plants. They were probably four feet tall. And People were using them literally as a fence. I thought it was interesting. The spider plant, known as the airplane plant, and there's a real reason for that. It is a perfect plant for beginners. It's very easy to care for. It produces these long cascading stems, and it's terrific for hanging baskets or trained on a trellis. And the reason it's called an airplane plant is when it puts out these um, stems, they have like these spiders at the end that look like kind of a kind of an airplane. And if you pinch off one of those, all you have to do is stick it in the dirt and you'll grow a new spider plant. So it's I, I started with a pinch of one from my mom's garden. I have them inside and outside and I love them. Another one is philodendron. Now, the foliage comes in a variety of shapes, sizes and colors. Sometimes the philodendron is, you know, somebody's first plant. It does prefer moist soil, and it can vine up to eight feet or more. In the jungles and in the rainforest, philodendrons actually will twine around another tree. I know in Costa Rica, they'll go, you know, 30, 40 feet into, into the sky. I mean, they're amazing to see. A parlor palm, I have one sitting on my desk right now. It's actually growing with the pothos. Um, and they just add a bit of the tropics to your office. They're great in dim light. You only prune the dead fronds off, never or over water. In fact, mine goes, I think I go at least a month before I ever water this one. And I have not repotted this um, in years. And I think it is now at least 25 years old, and it's beautiful. Uh, and I, I mean, I take it to, you know, every office I've had, it's been there. A fiddle leaf fig, they are very slow growing, and indoors they will grow um, to 15 feet or more. Uh, they prefer the, an east-facing window, and you only water when the top inch of the soil is dry, and never feed it during the winter months. So right now you don't want to feed it. Uh, the way you can tell if your soil is dry, I just put a pencil in. And if it comes out with dirt hooked onto it, then you ha it's plenty of moisture. If it just comes out dry, then you probably need a little water. Uh, speaking of long-lived plants, this fiddle leaf fig that I have growing in my entry hall, I got it, oh, I, I guess, I think I've got it at least 25 
or 26 years ago in a one, you know, a, 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 a one gallon pot, I've had to transplant it several times. Mine is 15 feet tall now and I can't move it. It's, I have it where I used to put my Christmas tree and now this is, I have to decorate it every year like a Christmas tree because I can't move the tree. It's so big. An aloe. Now, this is something that every home needs as an aloe plant. And the reason you need an aloe plant is for medicinal purposes. If you get a burn or a cut, all you have to do is snip a little piece of the aloe and soothe, uh, put it on your, you know, let's say you cut your arm, just squeeze the juice on there and it soothes the area. Aloes prefer to be root bound in sandy soil and they don't like much water at all. In fact, unfortunately, I had a pot, a beautiful pot of aloe outside that I forgot to put underneath the eaves when our atmospheric rivers happened. And it got so soaked that the roots actually rotted and I lost the plant. So don't water them so much. Now, croton, this is a beautifully colorful leafed plant. It usually grows in warm, humid climates outdoors. And if outdoors, if you've been to Hawaii or the Caribbean islands, you might have seen these crotons everywhere, Mexico. And they'll grow eight feet, 10 feet. Now, indoors, they don't. Indoors, they stay small, a foot. Maybe they'll get to two feet. But they offer an explosion of color in a small pot. But you have to keep the ideal temperatures above 60 degrees in order to maintain their beauty. And you also need to place some pebbles with a little water under the pot because they like humidity and that will increase the humidity. So these are my favorites and they are all relatively very low maintenance and they thrive in a variety of environments and in a variety of lights. And they are really terrific choices for beginner indoor gardeners, as well as those with more experience. And as always, when you make a purchase, carefully read the plant instructions tag and then follow the directions. Because again, the number one cause of house plants failing to succeed is overwatering. Now, there is one plant that loves to be overwatered. And that is the, um, the bamboo. If you want to have a, a plant indoors that you'd plant in water, then it would be a bamboo. So um, that would be something that you could think about. So no matter what's your lifestyle, you can add a touch of hassle-free greenery to your home and you can enjoy a full house of indoor nature, which will keep you happy and healthy and keep you gardening in this last month of winter. So happy gardening and happy growing. And when we come back from break, we are going to talk about how some wine might help us fight fat and dementia. Don't go away. You're listening to Cynthia Bryan. This is Star Style. Be the star you are. We're coming to you live on the Voice America Network. And we're brought to you by Be The Star You Are Charity. We're happy to be with you, so stay with me. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. Get autographed copies of New York Times bestselling author Cynthia Bryan's books at www.starstyleradio.com. 
Get inspired and motivated to be your best self with Be The Star You Are, 99 Gifts, and Be The Star You Are for Teens. Buy cases at a deep discount to give away as gifts and premiums. Visit www.starstyleradio.com or call 925-377-STAR. 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 Are you seeking a Dynamo speaker for your meeting, conference, or organization? Internationally recognized keynote speaker and New York Times bestselling author and lifestyle coach, Cynthia Bryan, will bring her energetic expertise, passionate professionalism, and ebullient personality to your event. Hailed as an expert in lifestyle, women's issues, self-help, personal balance, leadership, media, gardening, and interior design topics, Cynthia Bryan is a popular empowerment keynote speaker around the world. Lecturing to audiences of 100 to 5,000. For rates and bookings, call 925-377-STAR. 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 And visit www.cynthiabryan.com. When you want the best, book Cynthia Bryan. www.cynthiabryan.com. Are you a teenager with lots to say, but no one to talk to? Let your creativity explode and your voice be heard on the radio program Express Yourself, a show by teens, for teens, and about teens. No topic is off limits as you connect with teens with attitude. Check out Express Yourself on the Voice America Kids channel. And join our global community where teens talk and the world listens. www.btsya.com. You can express yourself. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. It's power time on Star Style. Be the star you are with your passion, purpose, and possibility producer, Cynthia Bryant. Now, back to the power party. This business of show. Well, thank you again for staying with me. We are going to talk uh, a little health right now, but it's also going to be about wine. So when it comes to alcohol and health, does it matter what you drink? And the answer is yes. (laughs) A new study has found a link between moderate red wine consumption and decreased levels of fat, that tricky to lose bad fat, you know, that one that builds up usually in your stomach, it builds up as you age, and it increases the risk of heart disease and stroke. Well, this study was published in February of last year in the Journal of Obesity Science and Practice, and it was led by um, Brittany Larson, who's a PhD candidate in neuroscience, at Iowa State University and was overseen by a PhD, Ariel Willette. And the study found that although white wine consumption had little impact on bad fat, it did increase bone mineral density, which is a key marker of health, especially in older adults and especially in women. Now, interesting, people who drank beer and spirits well, maybe it's not interesting. Maybe people just assume this. Um, <laughs> if you drink just beer or spirits, you had an increased level of the, uh, uh, the visceral fat. I think that does make sense, actually. So what the team analyzed was lifestyle and body composition data from 
1869 participants in the United Kingdom Biobank study, which is a biomedical database built by collecting health information from over 500,000 residents of the United Kingdom. And while many of the studies about health effects of drinking focus on the quantity of alcohol consumed, some overlook the type of alcohol consumed. So this study analyzed the distinct impacts of four different beverage classes. They did beer and cider, white and sparkling wine, red wine, and then spirits. And then to best assess how alcohol may influence body composition, they considered the patterns of usage for different types of alcohol rather than simply gauging alcohol consumption as a whole. Now, there are two competing hypotheses about how alcohol affects body composition. And these continue. In some studies, alcohol has been shown to promote fat retention by reducing lipid oxidation. But, uh, and uh, I guess I should explain that. Um, In other words, not only is alcohol a source of extra calories, you know, we call them those empty calories, um, but it actually slows the rate at which the body burns fat. So that's one hypothesis. The other hypothesis is that alcohol can hinder caloric absorption and increase energy expenditure when consumed with meals, which may in turn encourage weight loss. So those are two opposing um, theories. The Iowa state scientists are arguing that focusing on the type of alcohol consumed could clarify alcohol's apparently contradictory risks and benefits. So their research indicates that while spirits and beer may well be completely empty calories, wine is not. And wine even appears to help curb appetite. Um, In, uh, let's see, in this study, the study also put it this way, greater beer and spirit consumption have been correlated with the higher waist to hip ratio. But conversely, wine has largely shown no or inverse associations with waist to hip ratio. In other words, wine is not making you fat. Now, we're going to go into it a little bit more because obviously if you drank bottles, it would do that. But there is an amount that they talk about. So um, the two uh, writers, Larson and Willett, say that it's wine's polyphenols are likely responsible for its health benefits. And they add that the reversitrol, the, the, I always say that word wrong, reversitrol, which is a polyphenol found in red wine, may actually reduce inflammation and discourage any fat storage. They attribute white wine's bone-building effect to the, the proto-catechuic acid which is a lesser known polyphenol, and that aids in the reduction of bone loss. So white wine contains nearly twice as much of that acid as red wine, and that explains why red wine did not show any similar bone strengthening activity. So a red wine was helping with obesity. Red wine was fighting fat, 
while white wine was building bones. That's kind of good. Likewise, red wine contains much more of the resveratrol than white wine, which is why white wine had no effect on the fat. The polyphenols hold rich, very rich possibilities for future study, they both said. And it's absolutely possible that there are polyphenols that nobody has even discovered yet that could have instead been responsible for explaining the association between white wine consumption and greater bone mineral density. So I'm happy to hear that because, you know, a glass of white wine, especially when it's warm out um, in, you know, in the summertime or when you're having a meal that you prefer white wine, that's good to know that you might be building bone density. And then a glass of red wine might be actually taking away some of that tummy fat. So that's a good thing. Now, but moderate wine consumption is also linked to lower risk of dementia. And this to me is really important because Alzheimer's and dementia are such big topics that we hear about. And this study, this is another new study that was led by uh, Sylvia, Sylvia Schaefer, um, who's a, a PhD and was published in Brain Science and again collected data from more than 350,000 participants in that UK biobank cohort that I referenced before. And this study suggests that moderate wine consumption is linked with a lower risk of developing dementia. And there were researchers at Germany's University of um, Gießen and Leipzig that took a look at coffee, tea, and wine, and they found similar brain f uh, benefits for wine and tea as for coffee. So that was also really a good thing. Now, how they did it, uh, um, the researchers identified 4,270 dementia cases within the group that they surveyed. And that surveyed group was 350,000 participants. So of those 350,000 participants, they identified 4,270 dementia cases. Then they had the participants answer questionnaires on dietary habits. Red wine, white wine, and champagne were grouped together under wine, while beer, spirits, and fortified wine were labeled non-wine. A portion of wine was defined as 10 grams of alcohol, and a daily wine consumption was grouped into four categories. None, light, and light was less than or equal to 12 grams of alcohol. I'm not sure why they defined a wine as 10 grams, a portion is 10 grams, when they described light less than or equal to 12 grams of alcohol. They also um, described moderate as between 12 and 24 grams, and then heavy was over 24 grams. Then they took coffee and tea, and coffee and tea consumption were documented in cups per day. So moderate consumption was defined as three to four cups of coffee, while tea, like wine, was grouped into four categories, none, 
light, which was zero uh, to two cups. Now that makes no sense, light zero. None would be zero. So light would be one to two cups, right? <laughs> Moderate would be three to four cups. And then heavy would be more than, um, uh, would be four, five cups or more. So the re results showed that among all participants, moderate wine drinkers had a 19% lower risk of dementia than non-wine drinkers. Now remember, this is both red and white wine. However, this is what fascinated me. When they divided the data by gender, wine drinking women did not show a statistically significant difference compared to non-wine drinkers, while wine drinking men showed 17% lower risk of dementia. So that bodes well for all you men out there who are drinking wine. You'll have a 17% um, lower risk of dementia if you are a moderate drinker between 12 grams and 24 grams. But for women, darn it, we're going to have to suffer with dementia, it sounds like, at least according to this study, because there was no difference. And, you know, the, the, um, the study doctors were very surprised that the positive effects of wine consumption were statistically significant in men and all participants, but not in women. So all men participants uh, benefited, but none of the women did. Now, they do say these findings are supported by another research group that also found a reduction of Alzheimer's dementia after red wine intake. And in that uh, group, it suggested that women may be more vulnerable to the noxious effects of alcohol. So I guess we, you know, just, um, you know, maybe because we're smaller of body mass generally, um, women get drunk quicker and they uh, really, they can get sick faster and they have the bad effects of alcohol, which would not reduce anything for dementia or Alzheimer and it might even increase it. So there was no statistically significant difference in risk based on levels of coffee consumption, which um, Schaefer attributes to the possibility that the positive and negative effects of coffee and caffeine actually, you know, canceled out each other because there are positive effects of drinking coffee and then there are the ones that, you know, that make you nervous, et cetera. So they might have canceled out each other. Uh, but on the flip side, tea had a similar effect to wine. And people who drank three to six cups per day had a 31% lower risk of dementia. And the good news here was it was both for men and women. So drinking tea might be a good thing. So, to, uh, well, at least the last few days, I've been drinking about five, six cups of tea a day, or maybe I think I've made two pots already today. <laughs> so what does tea have that coffee doesn't? Like wine, tea has high amounts of flavonoids, which are those polyphenol compounds that are found in plant-based foods. So hopefully that is some good news for people who do enjoy wine. It sounds like we want to be 
um, more cautious with the beer and spirits that are going to add fat um, into your waist to hip ratio. And of course, a belly fat. Belly fat is the bad fat. And just remember that um, moderate amounts of wine consumption, at least in these studies, are showing that it, that it lowers the risk of dementia and Alzheimer's in men, a 17% lower risk. Red wine, it's not going to help the women. It's going to help the men. But the, I mean, red and white. Um, but tea, tea is going to do 31% lower risk of dementia with any three to six cups per day. And that's for both men and women. So I like that. I, I like that study. So here's to um, a glass of white wine for building bones and red wine for reducing our fat. What do you think? We're going to go into the garden with kids and kid-friendly plants, and we're going to get down and dirty. Kids love that. You're listening to Cynthia Bryan. If this is Star Style, be the star you are. I'll be right back. Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Business Bites. Here's Cynthia Bryan. Have you lost a business opportunity because you didn't know if you were being a pest or just being persistent? Everyone struggles with this fine line. So here are some steps you can take with the goal of getting a response from clients and customers. Identify if the prospect is assertive or passive. If assertive, you have permission to call more often with no more than three calls or texts or emails in a week. If passive, you got to plan on only one to three messages in a month. Use the one-two method to gain attention. You could call and then email or text. For voicemail, leave succinct, clear messages no longer than 15 seconds with a call to action. And don't forget to leave your phone number. For email, keep your sentences short and the message brief. Most people are reading their messages on their mobile devices. And with these simple strategies, you will be able to get through to the people who will want you in their universe. Remember, you are the star of your own performance. Turn your passions into profits. I'm Cynthia Bryan with another business bite from Star Style. For more information, visit CynthiaBryan.com. That's CynthiaBryan.com. Be the star you are. The star you are. The annual cost of illiteracy to American taxpayers is over $225 billion. Help increase literacy, reduce violence, and improve positive media messages by making a tax-deductible contribution to Be The Star You Are charity. A top-rated nonprofit, Be The Star You Are promotes positive role models, produces positive radio broadcasts, and donates positive books to empower women, families, and youth. Be a power partner and join our galaxy of stars. Visit our website at bethestarur.org to make a tax-deductible donation using PayPal or send checks to P.O. Box 376, 376, Moraga, California, 94556. Bethestarur.org. Dare to care. You are the star. 
Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. It's power time on Star Style. Be the star you are with your passion, purpose, and possibility producer, Cynthia Bryan. Now, back to the power party. This business of show. Well, we are going into the garden because gardening with children is so much fun. And kids just, they love to get dirty. They, they love nature. Once you expose them to it, it's just a whole universe of new things. And it is, I've been lucky enough throughout my life to be gardening as a child and to be gardening with kids. And I find that it is one of the most rewarding activities that I ever do because kids are endlessly curious. They're basically kind. They're completely genuine. And they're just lots of fun. They enjoy messes. They get gleeful about the basics of nature. And they absorb anything that they are interested in. They're just like giant sponges. So, you know, as a gardener, I never get tired of sharing nature with kids. And I never quit learning from them either. So how do you begin with kids if you're going to get them interested in gardening? The first thing, I think, is to give them seeds Seeds are just a great way for kids to learn about gardening. They come in just a multitude of sizes and shapes and colors. Um, And some are tiny, you know, like carrot or uh, coleus seeds. Some are big, like beans and watermelon or sunflower seeds. Some take only a few days to germinate, while others could take years, Uh, Like, I'll give you an example of one that can take years to germinate. If you have wisteria seeds and you plant them, you're looking at seven years. Maybe you'll get a sprout in five, but usually it's seven. So kids probably aren't going to be that interested in those seeds. But there are seeds that even need to be um, uh, frozen before they will sprout. Many seeds are nearly foolproof, and then others require unbelievable amount of time and care. Those are not the ones that you want to do with kids. You want to do the ones that are going to easily germinate so that you can introduce kids to the cycle of plants in a way that's going to let them feel pride as if, you know, they did it all themselves, because they do. And you can start seeds inside pots or flats or trays. It's a great rainy day project. You can even do it like in a plastic cup. Or if it's a nice sunny day, you can plant a seed straight into the soil outside. Planting with a child is just an easy way to discuss the soil, what's in the soil, you know, all the animals that are living there, um, the preparation, the germination, plant cycles. And next thing you know, your kids know what they're doing and why, and they really enjoy it. It It's really the best kind of learning. And um, I am going to give you a few favorite seeds to plant with kids. But first, I want to suggest that you take your kids and look out the window. Because just looking out a window, whether you're in a city or whatever, You're going to see something that is a wonder of the natural world. You might see a bee buzzing by. Maybe a bird is flying. Um, You might have something that lands, you know, a bug that lands on a window box. 
you might see a squirrel uh, gathering acorns or nuts or something. All creatures are part of nature's community and their lives are connected in so many ways. So I, we have a lot of squirrels outside my window here. And in fact, the next uh, children's book that I'm writing, that's called Family Forever. The star is actually a squirrel that I, um, that I raised from uh, a little tiny doll bottle because it, I found it dangling from a bush when it had just been born, and uh, its siblings and parent had been killed by coyotes. So it's interesting to, to, uh, to talk about squirrels because I never thought I would raise one, but I did. So if you see a squirrel, you'll see some of them will be gathering things for the winter. They bury them in the ground. And what's interesting when they bury those acorns, and much to my chagrin, many of them grow into more oak trees that I have to pull out because I I already have a forest and I don't need any more. But these kinds of relationships are everywhere in nature. And the entire community benefits from it. Now, as human beings, We depend on communities, too. We depend on farmers to grow our food. We depend on bus drivers to take us to work or to school, doctors to care for us when we're sick, dentists to clean our teeth, you know, radio and television personalities to give us the news and to entertain us. And so right in our very neighborhood, you depend on your community. And you can call on your next door neighbor to water your plants when you go on vacation. Or you can go outside and play with other kids down the block. But what may surprise you is that a healthy garden is also an independent community of plants and animals. And that garden includes people. So one thing that you can do with kids is to take them around your neighborhood to see what is actually growing in the neighborhood. Um, Maybe create a journal, like a nature journal. It's a fun way to record what you find in in the neighborhood in nature. And you might discover things that you never thought about. So if you take a child outside into a park, if you live in the city, or just into your backyard, if you have a yard, sit somewhere so you can see as much as possible of nature. And then let the child use some crayons or colored pencils and draw everything that they see. Like, or they could even just, or you could, if they don't write, you could help them write it down. Like, what are the sounds? Do you hear a bird chirping? Do you hear a bee buzzing? What about the flapping of a hummingbird's wings? Um, What colors are the leaves? What do you see on the flowers? There's so much to see in nature. It's just really exciting. The other thing is to dig into the soil. Again, kids love getting dirty. And there's more in the soil than meets the eye. There's entire communities of insects and plants and animals, worms that live hidden away from our view. So what you could do is take some soil. I mean, right underneath the surface, you find countless critters making their homes. And underground is another one of those interdependent communities found in nature. So if you get a small box, for example, 
And if you're going to dig in your own backyard, of course, as parents, you want to let the kids dig where you allow them to dig. If you're going to a park, you might want to ask permission because you you probably shouldn't be digging um, unless you can just take a small sample of, of soil and then maybe put it back. And you can use a plastic spoon or your fingers to explore the soil. But the good thing is if you can use a spoon and put some soil, uh, or if you have a trowel, you can put all, some soil into a box. And then with very gently with uh, the children, let them use their fingers to see what they find. You find earthworms. What kind of insects are there? Are there uh, millipedes? Are there centipedes? Um, you might find some of those roly-polies. There's all kinds of things that are living in the garden. And if you don't know the name of it, you can look it up in a garden book. And that could be something that is really fun to do. Now, getting back to seeds, because I really believe that if you help, and spring is coming, so if you help kids plant some, plant a few things that they can call their own, then especially if it's anything that's edible, they are going to want to eat it. Now, one of the very easiest vegetables to grow are radishes. Um, they have a very rich green rubbery foliage on the top. Their fat round roots are below, and that's the part that we eat. Now, um, a lot of people don't eat the greens, but they're both edible, and the greens are very delicious. Um, then they, and by growing these, they offer almost instant gratification for kids because the seeds germinate in three to five days and radishes are ready to eat in anywhere from like three weeks to maybe a month, a month and a week, maybe six weeks or so. They have tall gangly foliage. It's fun to watch it grow. And what is the most fun, of course, is pulling them out by the top growth to see that big red bulb at the end. And an easy and fun project for kids is, uh, is to plant them in a clear cup uh, or a jar perhaps so that children can watch the plants grow both above and below the ground. Now the only thing you have to watch out for if you're planting it in like a jar, like a glass jar, is uh, that you should put some bubbles at the bottom because you don't want to overwater. If you overwater, the roots are going to rot and then um, you won't have any radishes. But to plant the seeds, all you have to do is give the kids some seeds and then have them with their finger, press the seeds into the soil and um, maybe just leave you know, a couple of fingers between each seed for the root to grow and then put another seed in the ground, cover it with a light sprinkling of soil and just don't let those seeds sit in water because as I said, they will rot and you just water it, you know, when the soil is dry. So it's not completely foolproof, but it's pretty foolproof for kids. And so it's a great one. Uh, a flower that kids love is sunflowers. They have large yellow to brown faces and they encircle these yellow or orange petals and they're one of the most recognizable flowers in the garden. And um, the sunflowers are what are called 
phototropic. If you don't know what that means, it means they keep turning their face to follow the sun. So no matter where you plant it, it's going to follow the sun. Native Americans first cultivated these annuals for edible seeds, and now there are numerous sunflower varieties. Some are dwarf, some are really big, and they have they're, the familiar black and white seeds can easily be sown into the ground in late spring, or you can put them in a pot by a sunny window and just watch them grow. And the seeds need full sun and well-drained soil. And then they'll just keep turning their faces to the sun. So those are two things that you can do with your kids and get down and dirty. Well, that is our show for today. So I hope that you will stay tuned, (laughs) excuse me, with us um, every Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. here on Star Style, Be the Star You Are. We want to make your life better, help your dreams come true, and give you education, entertainment, and information. And for more information about Star Style Productions or to purchase any of my books, including the new No Barnyard Bullies, visit CynthiaBryan.com or you can visit BeTheStarYouAre.org. Any proceeds uh, benefit the charity. My aim is always to encourage, inspire, inform, amuse, and motivate. So see beyond your physical being. Know you already are the star you dreamed of becoming. And if you read a book this week, I hope it is one of mine that you find at CynthiaBryan.com. Or you can find it on Amazon or Barnes & Noble, wherever you like to shop. Until next week, when we celebrate once again, remember that love always wins. Kindness always prevails and smiles keep us happy. My name is Cynthia Bryan for Star Style, thanking you and encouraging you to be the star you were born to be. Be your unapologetically authentic self. Yes, be the star you are. And have that glass of red or white wine. You might be increasing your bone density and reducing fat. Thanks for joining me. It's been a pleasure bringing you our life-changing program, Star Style, Be the Star You Are. We have you on our radar as it's our goal to inspire, inform, entertain, and motivate you to be the star you were born to be. For more information, visit StarStyleRadio.com. And to make a donation to the charity, go to BeTheStarYouAre.org. Ignite the flame that burns brightly within. Take charge of your life and coach yourself to success with our dynamic host and empowerment architect, Cynthia Bryan. Every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on the Voice America Empowerment Channel for another serving of champagne for the spirit and a power boost to live with star style. Until we celebrate together next week, be the star you are.